longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. Now, do you see how he's kind of interchanging two different um, figures of speech or two different comparisons? We go from housing to clothing. But that kind of is the same thing, right? You know, clothes are just a type of house. <laughs> you live in your clothes, you live in your house. And uh, so the body can be described as your tent or as your clothes. You know, it all kind of fits the same way. So it kind of interchanges, though. You kind of got to keep up with what he's saying. But he says, you know, in this house, we grow. Now, why do we grow? Oh, because our bodies are bad. No, no. It's not talking about groaning because of what we have right now. We groan the longing for what we will have. That's the groaning. You know, he's, uh, you know, he's not trying to, uh, well, we'll look at verse, look at verse 3. Inasmuch as we having put it on, will not be found naked. I mean, you know, if we didn't have a body, you're naked. You have no clothes. You know, we wouldn't be like that. For indeed, while we were in this tent, we groaned being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed. So the point is, we're not, we're not groaning and burdened because, oh, this is such a bad tent. But these are such lousy clothes. We're groaning because we're looking so much forward to the tent we will get, the, the clothing, the house we will get, the clothing we will get. You know, it's not, Paul's not groaning, trying to get released from bodily existence. Now, this is a big deal in court because 1 Corinthians 15 worked on the resurrection a lot, right? That whole chapter, practically, it was a long chapter. And now we're back to dealing with the resurrection body again. But you understand that Corinth was in Greece. Achaia, Greece, same thing. Not far from Athens. You know what the Athenians, what the Greek philosophy was? That the real thing was the spirit or the soul. And the body, the material, was, they, they didn't like it. They didn't want it. It was a release when you died. Because you got to get rid of this material existence, this body. And once your body. They thought the real thing was the spirit or the soul or whatever. And, and getting rid of the body was a real blessing to them. That is not the way Paul's looking at that. He's not longing to escape the body. He's longing to gain the glorified body from God. He longed for his home with the Lord. So the Gnostics longed for a disembodied immortality. They were wanting to have live forever without a body. But we're not gonna, we're not gonna have that. Thank God. We're not gonna have that. We're not gonna be naked. The dead are gonna rise with a body. In fact, there's no other resurrection to have. It amazes me. But I've done this over the years, from time to time. If you ask a class of average Christians who haven't just studied this, what is it that's raised? Your body or your soul? Everyone, I've never asked that. It's two-thirds say your soul. How's your soul raised? Your soul is never buried. It's your body that's raised. When the Bible speaks of a resurrection, it's speaking about bodily resurrection. That's the only kind of resurrection there is. And uh, so, you know, the idea of having a naked soul, you know, a soul or spirit that has no body with it, is, is not what Paul's looking for. That would not be a desirable state. He's not longing to escape bodily life, but to fulfill bodily life of the resurrection. 
We really need to look forward to the right thing. And the right thing is, we're going to be raised. We're going to be before God in the presence of God, body and spirit. Glorified body, way better body. But we're going to be a whole person before God. This idea, you know, your soul will be forever with the Lord in paradise, is really not very helpful. Because what's your soul anyway? You know, it becomes kind of this nebulous sort of, you know, kind of this gassy thing, maybe, or whatever. I don't know. I don't know what, what we're thinking of. But, but, but when you think of it, your whole person that spends eternity in the presence of the Lord, that's much more encouraging. And that's exactly the picture we get here. He's continuing that emphasis from 1 Corinthians 15. And it amazes me how much the Bible can teach about the resurrection of the body. And, and we still have a struggle seeing that. But apparently the Corinthians did. And I do think we suffer some from some of that Greek concept in any way. Of just like, we see the body as like, you know, you don't want a body. You know, it'd be great if you just get to be a soul. No, not at all. That's not at all the way Paul looked at that. Um, so he says, you know, what is mortal is followed up by life. And uh, it's, it's kind of like... Alright, we've been redeemed so far. We've been redeemed from sin and slavery and bondage. We've been redeemed from you know, hopelessness, all that. But there's a part of us that hasn't been redeemed yet. Right? It's our body. Look back at Romans 8 for a minute. You see that so clearly in Romans 8. Romans 8, 11, But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Now look at verse 23. And not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption of sons, the redemption of our body. Our body's not yet been redeemed. But it will be in the resurrection. Right now, the body's the only thing in, uh, of us, only part of us, that sin still sort of has hold on. Because sin will, will lead to our body dying. But, but when Jesus comes back, he will conquer that last enemy, death, by raising us up and we'll be victorious because we will be body and spirit before the Lord. Praise God. And uh, he says, Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge. Now again, go back to Romans 8 a minute. What you think about how the Spirit is a pledge for us in this? So in Romans 8, 14, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit brings this, this sonship feeling, relationship, you know, glory. We, we, we see ourselves as sons. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit, maybe it should be translated to our spirit, that we are children of God. You know, we, we, we are, the Spirit brings to us an understanding that we are God's children. That's amazing. But that is consummated in verse 23 when we're waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. We've got the 
We've got the spirit of sonship. We have the spirit testifying that we're children of God. We, we have the understanding that we're God's children, but that is fully consummated in the redemption of our body. That's when we're truly, ultimately, fully adopted as God's sons. So we've got the Spirit as a pledge. What, what the Spirit has brought to us in terms of our sonship is ultimately fulfilled when our bodies are raised. And we, we await that, uh, as he says in 23, our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. You know, the Spirit renews our inner person. Look, look at Ephesians 3, for example. In Ephesians 3.16, we're just talking about this idea of how the Spirit's a pledge. Ephesians 3.16, that He can grant you according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man. The Spirit strengthens us with power in our inner man. We are progressively renewed. Remember what he said in 2 Corinthians 4.16, our inner man is being renewed day by day. But the ultimate transformation, we've been transformed, we're being transformed, but our ultimate transformation is when the mortal is swallowed up by life, the end of 5.4. And so the Spirit has brought a transformation, has brought a renewal, but there's the ultimate renewal in, in this idea of the mortal being swallowed up by life. We're given a, a body that lives forever and will never be subject to death. And so we have the Spirit as a pledge. What the Spirit has done for us so far is give us the down payment of the ultimate transformation as our bodies are transformed and glorified and they will live forever. And we will be before God as whole people, body and spirit. And that's an exciting thing to look forward to. Now I realize Though, you know, I mean, well, there's just a lot of us not thinking about this goal. We need to be a lot more excited about the resurrection of the body. Look at Philippians 3. Just a lot of Bible teaching about this. Philippians 3.21, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory. Wow! The body of our humble state is this one. The, the tent. But he will transform that body into conformity with the body of his glory. Wow. By the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. That'll be a powerful thing. Look at 1 John 3. But it's, it's the reality. 1 John 3. He says, well, how great, let's see how great a love the Father's bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. And he says in verse 2, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it's not yet appeared what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we'll, we'll see him just as he is. We'll be transformed to be like him. We look forward to that. It excites us. So, I'm going to pause. I realize that, you know, we, we rarely talk about this. And, and I think for a lot of Christians, it almost sounds like, that's, that's not right. No, you know, our, our spirits are raised, our body's gone. So, questions, comments, discussion about all that? Let's see. It's a glorified body. 
It's an honorable life. First Corinthians 15 talks about that a lot. And here he said, it's not like the humble life. It's a glorified life performed to his glory. I have no idea what that will look like or what that will feel like. I think it will be awesome. But, but I mean, I think there's no way for us really to totally grasp. I mean, I think that's what he's saying here in verse 1. We know we'll be like him, but we don't know what that really means. We don't know, I and mean, that body's greater than we can ever imagine. I think what's important there in First John is that that we will be like him. So that does kind of hint at okay, well, if we really understand and we seek to understand everything we can about God, then that's really that's all that's all that's important. That's all we need to know. We don't need to know necessarily what we're going to look like and what we, it, it's not needed as long as we are as familiar with God as we can be. That's what. We're but he does present the idea, even if he doesn't get the details, of our glorified body right. as being something very motivational. That's what we look forward to. And I just think, you know, what is it sure about us when we're not excited looking forward to what's going to happen? I mean, it's like everything else that we anticipate. I'm just looking forward to these studies. And I look forward to seeing everybody singing together and being together and studying together. It's exciting. And you dream about it, you think about it, you, you imagine. Why do we do that with the resurrection? Yes, Jason. I think it's really helpful Paul's illustration in 1 Corinthians 15 about how a seed doesn't look like the full-grown plant. And I mean, if, if we look around and say, wow, look at all those seeds. So, I don't know what that plant's going to look like, but if this is the seed, you know, that's yeah, yeah, so our body's like the seed, the plant that comes up, comes from the seed, but doesn't look like the seed. Yeah, first minutes 15, very good. Jamie. So my three-year-old girl is in jittery, and she walks goofy all the time. Um, some of that's a personality, but I, I wonder if, if she, she hasn't been in this body very long, and there's just a joy about walking and somersaults and using her body Yeah, so we don't think of this life 
as being the goal we are, you know, kind of wanderers, you know, we're not, we're not really looking at things here, we're looking at a body that is not this one, it's a much greater one that, that God will bring us, will raise up and, and transform, and so yeah, this should keep us from being too focused on this life, but... getting more and more. I mean, he didn't write this because he didn't want us to study it and understand it. So let's, let's keep working on it. I mean, obviously, we'll never understand everything as deeply as we'd like to, but we're going to pursue it with all our heart and get everything we can. And we're just to stay on the baby food is not maturing like we ought to. Right, so now look at um, in first John. Maybe I should go back to Second Corinthians. Uh, look at Second Corinthians uh, five, then and verse six. Therefore, being always of good courage, and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. You know, we're here in our physical body, but we're not with the Lord. Now he says we're absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. We're absent, absent from Him in the sense that. We're with him by faith, but we're not with him by sight. You know, he's accessible to us by faith. He's with us in that sense, but we can't see him. So he doesn't mean in every sense we're absent from the Lord. But we're absent from the Lord in the sense that we have a faith connection with him, not a seeing him connection with him, okay? And uh, and so we're of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body to be at home with the Lord. You know, what he really wants is to be with the Lord. And of course, that's where we'll be. It's with the Lord in a much greater sense than even now. So, you know, the Spirit has brought us the presence of the Lord. 
but we're going into a much greater and deeper sense of the presence of the Lord when we're with Him eternally. And that's, that's just an incredible thing. It's hard to imagine what it would be like to be with Him in that full, complete sense. So, what keeps Paul going through these difficulties? What keeps him from being discouraged? He's facing a lot. It's pretty tough. What keeps him being discouraged? Because he's so much looking forward to the glorified body and being at home with the Lord. That makes everything worth it. Thoughts and comments, then, to this. So, in verses 6 and 8, when it says, uh, when we're at home in the body, should we read, read that as at home in this body? I think so. Yes, I think so. The body we have at home. Okay, 9 and 10. Therefore, we also have with our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Okay, now think about verse, verse 9. So, so our goal is, at home or absent, in the body or out, to please God. That's our highest concern. We seek to please him all the time. He's a, that's our top priority. And I mean, the Corinthians had sort of downplayed the body to the point where they thought what well, they did the body didn't matter. Yes, it does. You know, don't denigrate the body. Whether you're in the body or out of the body, you want to please God. You want to use your body for the Lord. Because we're all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. I am not sure what sense he's using appearing. I'm not sure if he means we're all going to show up or if he means we're all going to be exposed, be manifest and revealed. Um, certainly that is true. All of our unbelief and our self-seeking and our pride and our greed and our envy and our lust will all be manifested. So at least that's true. I'm not sure if that's what he means. We'll all appear in the sense of, of be revealed or we'll all be there. But at any rate, we will each one be recompensed for his deed, deeds in the body according to what he's done, whether good or bad. That is really a sober statement. Because the judgment is based 100% on the deeds done in the earthly body. So once you die, nothing that happens after your death changes anything. However you behave, whatever you do, whatever you think, whatever you believe, whatever, I don't know what happens. Whatever happens after you die doesn't, doesn't have any effect on the judgment. It's all based on what you do before you die. So, and it's not based upon what you read, what you did. Not what you said, but how you live. So that's really sober. And it really ought to motivate us to just give ourselves to the Lord, love the Lord, live for it. Uh, the judgment ought to give a seriousness about life. There's a soberness to life. Sometimes we get just too caught up in all the fun, giddy, you know, everyday things. And they're not the reality. They're not what really matters. So we really got to... Keep our focus on the reality, the seriousness of what's, what's going to happen. You might think about a couple of things that this would mean. If we're recompensed for the deeds done in the body, that kind of sets off the idea of purgatory, where you can be judged for the things that you do after you die. No, nothing you do after you die has any effect on anything, uh, as far as your eternal state is concerned. And reincarnation, it doesn't say for the deeds done in the bodies. This is one of the things that in the body. There's only one. You only have one life to live. And uh, once, once that's over, it's a judgment. Thoughts and comments on this. 
I don't think they really focus on that. You want to still talk about that? <laughs> 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 well, that was not necessarily. I don't have a lot to say about that. Uh, you know, the Bible doesn't focus very much on that. Because it means we're looking forward to the resurrection. We're looking forward to the judgment of being with the Lord. And so there's just not a lot in the Bible about You know what happens between death and the resurrection? You know, I mean, probably, I don't know what you can do with it, but the parable of the rich man and Lazarus is probably as much teaching as there is, assuming that we're intended to take that in some sort of way that it actually teaches something about what will happen to us between death and the resurrection. I'm not sure we should, but if we don't, if we don't look at that, then I don't know where we go. I just really don't think we have a lot of information about that. I don't think that's really the focus. I don't think it's really the point. I think, you know, however that works, God will, I'm sure, take care of that properly. Really, the focus is after we die, then the resurrection. You know, that might be another thing that you could consider. You know, it looks like he's saying, well, he died, he's in the presence of the Lord. Uh, so maybe there's a sense in which he was in some sort of a non-bodily way. Uh, or maybe he's thinking about the resurrection. I'm just not sure in those passages exactly how to interpret them. Or if I'm over-interpreting, if I assume that, well, that means that your soul is somehow in the presence of God. I don't know. I just, I really think we're a lot more curious about that than what the Bible gives us information about that. That's what I think. Uh, you know, whatever, whatever somebody wants to, uh, you know, suggest about that, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to listen, but, but I'm just not sure where to go to really give a definitive response. Yeah, but the body here is a physical body. So I don't know. I don't know if that makes so. Maybe he's thinking there's a sense once he leaves the body, even though he's naked, he'll be with the Lord. But the emphasis on the passage, I think, is on the idea of the resurrection, not on some intermediate state. I just, I'm just really not sure that we've got a lot to go on on the intermediate state, however that is, whatever that is. I just don't think that matters for us. I don't think that's the, that's not the key element. We are very much looking forward to the Lord's return and to our resurrection. I believe those are the things that the Bible really presents as the goal. And then being with the Lord forever. I think very much that. But, but maybe there's a sense in which our spirits, our soul is with the Lord in some kind of a non-bodily state between death and the resurrection. That's possible. You know, there'd be some passages. This would perhaps lend itself to that Philippians 1 mind a little bit more. You've got some other, like, highly symbolic pictures of souls underneath the altar in Revelation 6, but it's just not at all convinced that that's trying to say something that, that we're, you know, consciously doing. You know, the reign of the saints with Christ in Revelation 20. But again, I'm not sure, in a symbolic book like that, I don't know how much we can really put into that. 
as far as trying to define out okay, exactly what do we know about a state between death and the resurrection. I don't know. That may lead to you know, a lot of questions. I think it's helpful to hear Paul say things like, yeah, about uh, the dead in Christ will rise first. So you don't have to worry. If you are dead, uh, he's going to take care of you. Amen. Yeah. And again, I mean, that's what you see in, in First Corinthians, in First Thessalonians 4, looking for the resurrection and forever being with the Lord after the resurrection. That certainly is the primary focus. You know, whatever you might choose to do, you think the Bible teaches about that intermediate state, or the state between death and the resurrection. Okay, great. But, but the main thing you see the Bible looking forward to is the resurrection and being with the Lord after that. Other thoughts? Okay. I think we will go ahead and call that a night.